Are you frustrated with the amount of light that's on my face? I no. I feel good about it. What I'm frustrated with is like I'm trying to grow out my hair and I'm trying to decide like particularly because I'm a glasses wearer. Yes. I hate this little the fly thing at the sideburns. And I don't I'm trying to look at your hair to see if you I don't Yeah. Like I've been growing them long and I want to put them behind my ears but it's just they don't stay and they get the glasses are in the way and should I make a sideburn? 2 weeks ago. No, maybe a week ago. Maybe it was 1 week. I cut my unders um yeah for the first time and I was super nervous uh-huh. about it because I hadn't cut like basically any part of my hair for 2 years. I got to trim once, but but the unders after 2 years since the start of COVID-19 like since uh, February or so 2020 until 2 weeks ago, I had not cut. Yep. And these like things around my ears still were like two inches long Not shot long straight enough. out it's where most of the gray lives too which i don't yeah. care that it's gray but gray hair behaves differently than other hair right um and so i got my unders cut and i was like every problem that i've ever had with my hair is in my unders now that yeah. they're gone and you can't even tell the difference because she just cut off a little bit of it except okay so now i can wear sunglasses and now I can put on a suit and I don't look like I just rolled out of bed. <laughs> I don't. What do you mean about sunglasses? I don't get that. Well, glasses, like, because I have the same issue as you. Oh, so you did you have you had so you had your sideburns done? No, I had like this. Is that part of the unders? Yeah, this hair right here was like really long. Let me and see. Shot straight Move up out. Closer here. Well, I have no light. Oh, so it's your whole side. Yeah, it's shaved up to like there. Ah. Uh. That's what I want to do. I think it's, but I think it's a good call. Is my hair, is my hair too short to do that? Is it gonna look? Ooh, yeah, mine's up all the time, pretty much. But it also doesn't look that different whenever it's down. Eight months. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I I've got an appointment next week. I'm gonna ask. My God, I would just uh, have you prayed about it though. Not yet. There's I'm too afraid <laughs> of what the Lord's going to reveal. I know what the Lord's going to reveal. The Lord hates long hair. Well, he hates long hair, but he really doesn't like people to shave their temples. Yeah, that's true. So it's tr- it's almost the opposite of what I want, if we're honest. <laughs> Isn't that so often the case with the Lord? we got deep fast this is i didn't know we were going here i didn't either but even the it just occurred i mean even as you said that we're recording this the day after yom kippur so we should be deep into our levitican making some confessions yeah um Mm. traditions and we start out our conversation the day after yom kippur with a discussion as to whether or not we should cut our the hair on the sides of our heads yep here's a jingle man But what kind of preacher were you then? Did you scream and shout and whisper and pout? Did you shame people for all their sin? Preach!
bet you were corny with all of your poems and your jokes. But I bet you made them feel by keeping it real and winking at your smoking hot wife on the second row. Joe, I might be an existential therapist. Have you had these um, LaCroix coffee? It's definitely not LaCroix. It's pronounced La Croix. <laughs> Look at it again. Look at it again and tell me that you're pronouncing that right. It's La Croix. Okay. I'll give you that. Have I'm you totally I've never heard anyone say that it's actually La Croix, but whenever I hear LaCroix, I'm like, that's such a waste of so many letters. Like there's no way it's LaCroix. Oh. I don't know how you could spell like in English. Like I don't know what letters you would use, but there's a lot there, so Well, it's a principle of French to waste letters. You're just not supposed to pronounce the last four or five, six letters on the end of any word. That's how French works. You just, like, throwaway letters? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like E-A-U? Yeah. Merlot, M-E-R-L-O-T. You just, right. you just fake letters, you know? Um, I'm just now learning it's not Merlot. Anyway, the coffee. <laughs> the coffee? Uh, coffee? La Croix? Have you had it? No. My God, it's good. No, I don't. Is it bubbly? It is. It's just, and it's not caffeinated or anything. It's just water. But it, it's like, it tastes, it tastes like, like if you wash out your coffee mug and then drink out of that. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. I do that. I do that anyways. I have a bit of a habit of, I don't know. It was something I started for, like. It was kind of like a health commitment at one point that it was like, okay, well, before I fill a mug with coffee, I'm going to fill it with water. Drink water, yeah. <clears throat> I would drink that much. I'll drink the same amount of water as coffee so that it's diluted as soon as it hits my stomach. Yeah. And then I'll fill it again afterwards. And then I just got into the place where I was like, I think I only drink water out of mugs because <laughs> I just kept <laughs> refilling it all day. But I can relate to that. Like I, my water, smelling coffee while I drink water Yeah. is kind of the... Well, essence of coffee element you're, you're that's, talking about there. LaCroix <laughs> is... I might be an existential therapist. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm not finished talking about this. <laughs> you know, it has flavors that are like, drove by a strawberry field. Or <laughs> like, hint of a hint of lime. Yeah. Or whatever. Anyway, the coffee one is good. Okay, existen let's go. Come on. Do you know anything about existential therapy? I know about existentialism. Yeah. I think it's related. I don't know. I'm Seems new like to it being an existential therapist. <laughs> you just started. I just started. <laughs> First day on the job as an existential therapist. <laughs> well, what does that mean? What do, what do you... You just... You talk to your patients about the dread of being human? Yeah, kind of. No, I don't have patience. Um, I, I don't really do any type of therapy yet. But I did, so I had to study existential therapy this past week. And It's well, easier to, to be an existential therapist when you don't have any patience, I think. That's <laughs> <laughs> I, had to, uh, I had to do a little research on it. I did not, yeah. uh, even using the word study feels 
a bit pretentious um, <laughs> and and inaccurate. I, I did what I had to. I did what I had to to get um to get uh, the grade to get a paper written. But <laughs> that's exactly I the kind of doctor you want. <laughs> yeah, I, I discovered. <laughs> As I was looking into it, though, like one of the key tenets of an existential approach to therapy is, um, well, there's there's a good bit about uh, spirituality and religion, like not that you would inject it, but that you would be sort of open to talking about that in sessions and that you would be like the they, they might have a story for why they're here, mm-hmm. you know, why they exist. And that is most often tied somehow to people's spirituality and um, religion and whatever. Um, but also, the fifth element of existential therapy has to do with death and dying and yeah. coming to terms with like what happens. And I found it super interesting to be looking into this, um, you know, non-religious like approach to therapy, like kind of a, you know, these deep ties to psychoanalysis and and for them to say you know pretty much everybody needs to um needs to work on what happens to them after they die or coming to peace with coming to terms with some sort of story that helps them to wrestle with this and it it came within you know the context of a larger conversation my wife and i have been having again here recently about like why is hell such a big deal to us why is this stuff such a big deal and like even long after we've resolved that we don't really believe in the evangelical hell, um, we're still at times troubled and at times like develop these questions about like, yeah, but what if we're wrong about that? Or what if, and it just, you know, this, this existentialist stuff that I was reading about started to give some good, uh, talking points and thinking points to, uh, to that conversation really started to realize like oh yeah well this is totally normal for all humans this actually isn't a christian thing this actually isn't a born and raised in southern west virginia appalachian evangelical thing this is a thing everybody deals with and those were the tools you were handed for it and you're not going to get rid of them like you're not going to get away sure (laughs) right anyways yeah well i mean like struck me as relevant it's the it's the great unknown right the Right. The great unknown of all human existence is like what's what's beyond <clears throat> and that's you know, it sucks to not know something. <laughs> yeah. Although yeah. I think I wonder does it make it scarier I don't I don't know. This is like one of those chicken and egg things, like you know, do we already, do we have, like, an innate human sense that, like, we just sort of keep going? That there's, like, some existence beyond uh, our our physical death? And so we need answers for, like, well, that's really scary. It's unknown. What does it look like? And so we have all these, whatever religious answer you, you were given growing up. Um, or is it, like we made up the problem like would it be totally natural to think well like i just ceased to be like i'm just not the way that i was before i was born i didn't i was just not 
Like, is that is that the default position and religion both creates the problem and gives a solution? Mm-hmm. Or is the problem innate? That's the question. That's, that's what I'm wondering. I think... Well, I, I know my wife and I better than anybody. I've had more conversations with her about this than anybody. And I think my, like, not an answer to that, but my response to that would be um, yes. <laughs> because for me, <laughs> the reality is, like, to think, well, I don't remember before I was here, and I probably won't notice after, and I'm okay with that. That is not difficult for me at all. That's not a hard yeah. leap. Yeah. And I, I, I meet, you know, Christian, you know, listeners to this I, and some of the, those that I know, um, I've heard that camp represented pretty well. Like a lot of us actually find some peace in, in the, uh, in the nothingness element. The Pete Holmes calls it the, uh, the, uh, old tube television power down the like you know that <laughs> yeah. that sound that they used to like really old tvs you just you turn the knob and it goes and it just like right. sucks the life into it and it's gone <laughs> it's just a, a black hole in your living room um i find some peace into that in that like that yeah. i might close my eyes breathe my last breath and then i'm just out that was it um but I find other people find that to be incredibly troubling. Like my wife finds that to be horrifying. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and other Christian listener listeners I've heard, like I've heard both camps represented back when we were talking about heaven and hell and, and how, uh, you know, I probably more frequently than anything lean into, I, I don't believe there's nothing. Um, I don't believe there's nothing. Yeah. I don't believe there's nothing, but I don't believe that whatever it is will have a whole lot to do with this. <laughs> I don't believe that my current consciousness will have much of a bearing on that consciousness there. Mm. Um, I certainly don't think the decisions of this life have much to do with whatever there is in the next life. But anyways, all of that to say, you were saying you wonder if it's chicken or egg, and I think it's chicken and egg. I think yeah. it's two different types of people. Like a chicken omelet. <clears throat> it's a, ch- yeah, it is exactly <laughs> that. <laughs> Why does that seem gross? <laughs> I don't know. other meats and omelets, but it does seem gross <laughs> that you'd put. Well, you know, it's like um, there's uh, kosher rules against like cheeseburgers and mm-hmm. stuff because the I, the actual text says, um, not to boil a kid in its mother's milk, which is that's pretty specific. I don't know of anybody who cooks that way, <laughs> but generally, like Orthodox Jews have taken that to mean no meat and dairy together. Okay, and I I think it's the kind of the same principle. Like yeah, just yeah. Mm. I didn't. Even but I do like a cheeseburger, you... right? <laughs> but a you chicken omelet. Like it's like you're also considering cutting the hair of your temples so well that's true anti-semitism runs deep (laughs) in your bones (laughs) Um, anyways i don't know if that was as interesting as it was to anyone else as it was to me this week just to just to be seeing um a conversation that i thought was 
pretty specifically evangelical and pretty specifically religious and pretty specific to my own culture and upbringing and think thought patterns to be to see that sort of validated by larger scientific and psychological research to say hey by the way this is probably something you're going to need to address at some level with almost every client at least at some stage in their life yeah. um every client has to come to terms somehow with their ceasing to exist and well, uh, i mean don't you think that's a very yeah true of i think that's true of my religious experience generally like everything that that evangelical Christian Christianity was trying to do, um, like needs to get done, <laughs> right? Like I, I do need a sense of how do I deal with guilt in my life, right? Right. Now, there's the same chicken and egg problem there. Like, to what extent did did evangelical Christianity create the problem of guilt that it's proposes to solve? Well, yeah. to a large extent, right? I mean, it, it does. It's the thing that gives you the religious rules that say you're breaking these rules, and so you're destined to hell. And and here's how you get saved or whatever. Like, there is a racket to it, but also even without that racket, like, I think guilt is an innately human capacity, right. Um, right. and and it's not healthy. You know, it's there, like there's an, well, that's another one, right? I need to acknowledge my um, sin is the Christian way of talking about it, but I need to acknowledge my capacity to do harm to people in the world. Like right. I, I need a mechanism for that, a language for that. Um, that's a universal. And I also, because of that, because I need that, I also need to figure out a way to get over my guilt and just get on with it. Um, yeah. and like, that's, those are the things that the religious traditions were trying to do and, and to give us some peace about what's in the afterlife or whatever, like well, all I, of those I, are just existential human questions. And I think we got some shitty answers to them. Well, I think, but the questions I, I are think, important. I think religious and spiritual traditions in general, that's true that in general they aim and strive to address these questions um, in a way that I don't know if I could even say in general. I want to, I want to speak to the other side of what you're saying because I think that would be the best intent for religious and spiritual traditions to say, here are these innate um, human characteristics sometimes flaws sometimes whatever and we're going to help people resolve them and we're going to give them story and give them you know narrative for working through those yeah. I, I think that's almost the definition of religion really when it comes to evangelicalism in particular and i'm sure there are other examples but this is the one i know the most yeah what it seems to have done is to capitalize on that oh absolutely yeah as a way of like and and exacerbating <clears throat> that even like to say if you don't think you have a problem uh, with guilt and shame and sin, well then listen up, Bucko, <laughs> yeah. because we sure. can we're gonna give you one. Um, so that that's where the the sort of sales element of evangelicalism comes into play, where I think within within Judaism um, you have less emphasis on converting yeah. others to the faith, so there is more just kind of this is our story. 
um, these are our guidelines and this is, you know, we think this is helpful for the human condition. And if you don't think it's helpful, then we don't care. Um, whereas evangelicalism has very, you know, is very focused on convincing people that it would be helpful or selling the selling the product. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's yeah, absolutely. But there's I a hear, I, there's a huge yeah. problem that comes with a proselytizing religion. Like once you've decided that your goal is to make other people. I'm saying that in a negative way. Once, once you recognize part of the goal is like other people having the same solution to the problem that you have. Well, then you have a lot of um, incentive to make the problem worse. Right. Yeah. yeah right. Exactly. Um, exactly. That's it's exa- like the people who, it's like the people who do pet, who do pest control at my house. <laughs> yeah they always want they always want to bring like they'll go out into the woods and find a a tree trunk and dig it out and find some termites and then bring them to my front door and they're like hey just so you know termites are out here eating <laughs> the tree trunks and i'm like yeah well it's what they eat man <laughs> um, but they, they say well you don't want them to eat your house you, you are that's for damn sure i don't um <laughs> But you're the one who brought them to my house. They were just eating the tree trunk out in the yard. You brought them all the way up here and showed them, like, now these guys are going to go back and say, you think this trunk is good? Wait do you see this porch. <laughs> I went on a ride today. Um, but, yeah, in, in in a sense, this is this is a, a, an, a religion that sells itself to others is essentially doing that. It's like we... We kind of come in under the guise of solving a problem for you when in reality we recognize that you have a problem that we could capitalize on in some <laughs> way. And that's an ugly approach to it. Not everybody does it that way, yeah. but it does seem like uh, we were. Well, it's the, <clears throat> I'll, I'll say this about it. Um, to just like, I don't know, because I'm feeling generous and not angry. Whatever. I noticed that. I noticed that. I was, I feel like there's always a, um, there's this need for balance and stasis within the crisis of faith <laughs> yeah. podcast. And like, so when you're mean, I'm nice to evangelicals. <laughs> and when you're being nice, I start getting itchy. Yeah. And I'm like, well, hold on. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, you know, part of the, I really, I know you don't like Paul and it's un- unpopular to say nice things about Paul, but I think the religious genius of Paul is that he really made, he took something um, latent in the Hebrew Bible tradition and made it really explicit and, and made Christianity a religion that was really the first of its kind to be no longer bound by um, ethnicity. Yeah. Right. Um, that that you joined a religious tradition uh, by just believing certain things, and that's that that's new in the history of the world. Um, and so, like, there's something really cool about that, and really uh, like universalizing. There, 
like right. we see we talk about this universalistic tendency in Paul which is really helpful and and beautiful like he's got this huge big vision of a world um all sort of brought together and um all under God's grace the shadow side of that universalizing tendency is uh this need to proselytize right mm-hmm. once you have a religion that's not that you're not just born into um that's that's bound by something different from ethnicity then well how do you how do you get people into it you do it by a sales pitch not by birth anymore um yeah. and that's a different approach it's so there's there is a there's a beautiful part of that um but the shadow side and it really i mean it's it's a a serious shadow side I mean, that the the sales we're saying it kind of flippantly as a sales pitch but like there's a lot of guilt and fear and shame um that's been put into the world because of that tendency yeah yeah that's well put and i hadn't thought about you know i mean i feel like when i was a preacher those were the things that i found appealing about paul and i felt especially as an evangelical a need to like a need to like paul um but i don't know that that's something i would have noticed as much that that's the jo- that's the thing that he did um and that's why he gets to write the you know that's why why his writings are get to make up the lion's share of the new testament yeah. they're really useful for that element um for the sort of globalization of yeah. um of the church so uh it seems like last week's um podcast has some mixed reviews (laughs) (laughs) we have we have some opinions coming for well i only i i assume this is at least part of what you're referring to i got one message from a friend uh who said that needed a trigger warning (laughs) i hated that sermon so much (laughs) yeah well you know i i suspected before we started reading it I even said, because I listened back to the podcast, and I was like, I said this is going to be the worst one yet, um, because I suspected that the subject nature of it was going to be um, really off-putting. Like, it was going to be an annoying, hey, if you've got problems, it's just a matter of your perspective and whatever. Um, If you're you're worrying or have anxiety or fears about anything like that, that's sin— like I, I that that's how it was talked about, and that's how yeah. I assumed I was going to talk about it, and so uh, I I did like almost put a trigger warning up front, and then whenever it was all said and done, we were like that was pretty good. That was probably the the, <laughs> the best of the three. Uh, it was too long. I I made myself talk too long, so I said a lot of things in there. But then it was really funny to me to have for you to have that. Um, yeah. And then I had heard, well, and I had heard, and my own experience of it was like, huh, well it seems like we almost kind of liked that one. That seemed to, <laughs> well, the, I think the things that like are really awful, the things that my friend was noting that are awful about it. We also noted, but we just kind of like said, yeah, that was pretty terrible. But this yeah. thing, <laughs> we were just feeling magnanimous toward your yep. old self. <laughs> See, the balance was off. Yeah, that's right. We Somebody needed being, to be angry. If, if you're both being nice and you're both, <laughs> being supportive and encouraging you end up 
you end up with something that's ugly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But anyways, make sure you listen to last week's episode, everyone. And smile. Sounds to me like your friend just has a matter of perspective issue. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just smile more. (laughs) Just smile. That's oh man. Women love that. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty well documented, isn't it? Yeah. Um. So, uh, my uh, I took my family to Dairy Queen the other day. This is not related to anything, but just. I just remembered that I needed to tell you this story. I probably should have put it up front. Um, and uh, we ordered chocolate uh, soft serve ice cream cones. Okay. Dipped in chocolate. Yep. Right? And so I get up to the register and I say, um, I'll take three of those because I have three children. Um, and then I ordered a Blizzard, him and m Blizzard, of course. Same order since I was uh, nine years old. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then my wife came up and she was like, you know what? I'll just do a chocolate dip cone too. So make it four. Um, chocolate soft serve. Chocolate yep, dip. yep. Yep. And so it. we go sit down and we take a number. You got the order? Yeah. How many ice creams are you going to bring out for my family of five? <laughs> I mean, it feels like five total four chocolate dip and a, and an M&M blizzard. Yeah. That seems appropriate. Um, we sat down and <laughs> this, the lady that took our order comes over and she's carrying two chocolate dipped chocolate cones, sets them on the table and two of my children pick them up. And she's like, you have to, uh, you have to excuse me. I only have two hands. She's like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> excused. You're excused. Um, she comes back with two more. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, what you wanted. Dipped chocolate cones. Um, that's the appropriate amount. Now we're just waiting for an Eminem Blizzard. She comes back with two more <laughs> chocolate dipped chocolate cones, sets them on the table. All three of the people, all four of the people who ordered chocolate dipped chocolate cones are already eating them. Yeah. And we set two more down on the table. Okay. She goes back and she comes back with one more <laughs> chocolate dipped chocolate cone and my Eminem Blizzard and sets them on the table. <laughs> And she sets, it's so, this is so good. She sets the three extra chocolate dip chocolate cones right in front of my wife because she is the one who ordered who four. Said, I'll, I'll have a chocolate dip chocolate cone too. No, make it four. That's great. I loved so much that this, that the person taking an order was just like, Live your life, man. Live your <laughs> life. Did you pay for seven chocolate dip chocolate cones? Oh yeah. And I noticed like she she gave me the total and it was like $18 or something and I was like that's uh, too much. God, Biden. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then I just paid. I mean, what difference Yeah, right. What he paying for the ice cream? <laughs> um I'm not that kind of, um, I don't have those kinds of problems where we're like at the point where we have to decide whether or not we can all have negotiate over the ice cream. No, 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 no. We all get ice cream. Um, we, we will starve before we don't all get our own ice cream. Anyways, pretty great. Pretty great. Did you eat them? Did you eat the extra cans? I took the extra shell off of two of them 
and yep. put it in my M&M Blizzard. Great. Yeah, like a true American. <laughs> and threw out the rest, which I had ordered a mini M&M Blizzard. Yeah. Anyways, a child size, so I could I could afford a little extra shell on top, you know. <laughs> Plus, we paid for them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, are we going to cover any real ground today? I, you just finished your dissertation. I'm not even finished. I'm still editing. What? Gross. I know. It sucks. Um, I have been writing nonstop for the last three days because I had two classes this semester. Uh, well, I do like, it's a, it's a half semester. I do two in the front half and then two in the back half. I don't know if that's common in graduate school. It's the first, my, first time I've ever done graduate school. Um, Sounds right. But uh, I, did, I did basically nothing for them all seven weeks leading up to now. I mean, I did everything that was assigned, but it was basically nothing to the extent that I had, you know, ongoing anxiety that I had just missed something. It was like, you can't give me credit for what I've done so far. I mean, you usually, it, was like, it was like 30 minutes of work to finish both classes every week. Yeah. And, you know, it's supposed to be six hours a week. So that's... You just have like big seminar papers to do now for all the classes. Yep. 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 Big papers and other um, activities. I had to record myself counseling someone for a fake problem. Um, <laughs> you should, you have back. ninety hours of counseling someone through fake problems <laughs> recorded. You should just pass them a link to Crisis of Faith. <laughs> That's true. I think you. I'm pretty sure I was the client for most of that though. <laughs> Especially in the early days. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was like several projects and all that. And I'm, I'm like really, I'm not totally brain dead. I'm actually just really still in it right now. Yeah. Like, right. I paused writing to hop on this call. And, um, and I'm doing my best to avoid talking about um, multicultural competency. <laughs> okay, here's what I think we should counseling. do. <laughs> Christian Nation. Pray for us. Ooh. <laughs> every head bowed, every eye closed. And and next week, we'll put you out a sweet, sweet podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about so much shit. Here it comes. It'll, Here it comes. Your head will spin. My multicultural competency paper is actually on um, a... Ju- my, the vignette is a Jewish man who wants to marry someone who's not Jewish. Okay. And he wants okay. to honor his Jewish heritage and honor his family and like what I don't I don't know. I only know like stand up bits about this kind of stuff. I don't really know much about the actual <laughs> cultural realities. I mean, except for as much as I know evangelicalism. I was kind of raised in the in a in a similar tradition for that. But uh yeah, so there's that. There's it's that that's pretty related, right? Yeah. For Boom, sure. That's content. You don't want to hear my sermon today? Look, if you want to preach a sermon, I'll listen to it. I offended people last week with my sermon. (laughs) Hey, if you're not stepping on toes, what are you doing? You know? (laughs) Put on your steel-toed boots today, everybody. The preacher's got a word. (laughs) I think this is pretty much the same. Uh, It's the first week that I did not teach from Jesus, so maybe it's a good one to just be like, all right, well, I'm done here. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Yep. God blesses the seventh day, declares it holy, 
because it's the day that he rested from his work. This was about rhythm and balance in life, like how you need to have some some rhythms. Okay. You have six days each week for ordinary work on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath day that's dedicated to the Lord your God. I do that on Tuesdays now. I have time out Tuesday. Oh, that's nice. For my, for my Shabbat. <laughs> uh, you, have, you have your quiet time? On Tuesdays? Oh, we talk, I talked about margin and your finances. Let me read this section. Let's see okay. what this... All right. All right. We'll do that. We'll, we'll do that much. We'll give you this much. <clears throat> Sorry, Crisis Nation. Wait. Here comes a full episode <laughs> because we need 10 more minutes <laughs> to really constitute one. Wait. So this... Ser- the, the whole sermon is about rhythm. Yeah. Balance. Balance. Margin. Rhythm, balance, like, margin. And so you, you first started with you got to take some time out, have yourself mm-hmm. a Sabbath. I think yep, that's a good yep. practice. I don't I don't have anything. I don't even have a day off. Like, the problem with, I guess. And how does that make you feel? Being a, a shitty. It's awful. <laughs> uh, like, the problem with being a millennial or whatever is none of us have, well, I don't know. I don't, I've never had, like, one job that or not most of my life had like one job that yeah filled that paid for all my stuff and like did all, i have currently you know aside from writing a dissertation i'm at least triply employed yeah um always you know right and right. it's like there's just you can't coordinate a vacation cuz you can't get everybody to be off at the same time you can't like i have tons of f- flexibility in my schedule and free time but it's ne- i don't have any kind of dedicated like day off and it's been a trade off in my life where like you know i don't i don't miss my kids stuff for work i'm always right um, right i always have flexibility but i'm also always low key working <laughs> yeah i think that's the I, I wonder how much of that has to do with being a millennial, this, you know, like kind of coming up in the gig economy yeah. world where it's kind of like, well, I don't have a job like my dad had. Um, I just have jobs that come along, like lots of things that I <laughs> do and it kind of is in flux. And yeah, I'm I'm always like a little uh, like it always catches me off guard whenever I discover someone else in the gra- in my graduate program who's just a graduate school student. It's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, this is like I did I did this this week. Um <laughs> it's it's hard for me to get my head around or or even just undergraduate, like any cuz I didn't do that in undergraduate school either, like that you would just be focused on one thing. And I think there's a lot of value in that. I think those people probably make better doctors and counselors than I will. Um, <laughs> Instead of, they actually study existential <laughs> therapy rather than Googling it. <laughs> exactly. That's the, um, but yeah, balance in your time was the first one. And the second one, how much margin do you want to have in your finances? Quick definition of financial margin. All right, I'm reading now from a sermon from years ago. Okay. And I'm going to hate it, I think. All right. Uh, the financial margin is the amount of money that's left over after the bills are paid. And I know what you're thinking. Okay, cool. We all know that's not a real thing. So on to <laughs> question number three. <laughs> what do you mean the money that's left over after the bills are paid? 
But I want you to consider the idea of financial margin to consider this question instead of other money questions, because typically the question we ask concerning rhythm, uh, concerning this rhythm of our lives is not helpful. We ask, what is the goal for your money? Um, is your goal to have enough? That's not a goal. Do you know? Do you know how I know that's not a goal? Because you can't answer once and for all what that number is. I guess that's kind of true. So if your goal is like I want to have enough money, it was like, well, you you can't really know when that is. Yeah. In addition to the fact that you you can't settle what that number is, even if you could, you have very limited control over whether or not you can even reach that number, right? I mean, you might need to a raise or a promotion or job security, consistency for 25 years, and none of those things are really within your power. I could say all I want that our goal is to make $1 million a year, and that would be enough for us, but then how much control do I really have to make that happen? I feel like I'm vamping here. This feels another, like another part of this where it's like, did you have a 10-minute sermon, Drew, but you <laughs> felt like you needed to stretch it out and make the your rent in the movie theater <laughs> yeah. worthwhile? Um I would add to this discussion that too often we make the target the amount of money and we discover that what Warren Buffett once said is true for all of us. When he, he was asked the question, how much money is enough? His answer was always a little more, um, which I think is true of time, money. Like that's yeah conceptually true for all of us across the boards. Like, yeah, we have this sort of relationship with, yeah our time, our money, our energy, where it's like, I always feel a little tireder than I'd like to be. I always have a little less time than I need in a week. Um, this is what the wisdom of scripture would teach us to do as well. Ugh, <laughs> that phrase, <laughs> the wisdom of scripture. Scripture teaches us a great deal about what to do with our finances. And most of it um, in the new Testament doesn't look how you might expect. A man named Paul wrote a letter to a pastor friend of his, Timothy, Hey-o. in the first century. And this letter has been passed down for thousands of years as instruction to all pastors, I guess. Um, so here's what he tells us to do about your money. He says, oh, here's what he tells me to tell you about your money. Okay. Again, I'm trying to put some space between like, but this, the, the, the pastor of the evangelical church that I do music for right now does this same thing a lot. Um, what is it? What, what's the which thing? is like, I, this isn't me guys. This is just, Oh, like, right. Yeah. I'm just telling you, but he, I don't hate I, the I gays. Do, this is just what the Bible says. I do think his relationship. Well, I'm certain of this. His relationship with it is very different. When he says the Bible, he means God. Yeah. Um, and I'm saying, Hey, there's a much more longstanding tradition of these thoughts than just my own life experiences here. Um, I was trying to lean into religious heritage, whereas I think he believes what I'm about to tell you doesn't matter what you think about it, what I think about it. This is what God said. Um, And I'm like, nah, here's what Paul said, and people have found it helpful in various um, settings. All right, he says in 1 Timothy 6, 17, and I'll finish on this. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Um, First things first, you may not consider yourself to be rich, but Paul would. If there is no doubt in your mind that you will eat again today if you get hungry, then from Paul's perspective, you're rich. Those who are rich are simply those with resources they need to keep themselves alive. And his instructions to those of us who have enough money to take care of ourselves 
um, is to never get too convinced that we are the ones taking care of ourselves. How can we do this? By establishing financial margin. <laughs> what? <laughs> that one, I would have twisted, you would have just twisted your ankle if you were trying to follow me. <laughs> That's a good basketball joke or something. <laughs> well, I did say that I would have done this in a gym. If I had, if I had the resources for one, I would have been teaching from a gym. Maybe your friend was offended by, um, by my discussion of churches with gyms. Oh, that's probably what it was. How I like them. Um, I don't want to read any more of this. It's, uh, it's going to get really, really. Yeah. Well, okay. I think we could probably. It's not fun. Already say about this. What? Yeah. Right. It's going to go into some Dave Ramsey. And that whole shebang, which we've said this before, and it's worth repeating. I think, like, okay, I'm not a financial guru. I know basically nothing about finances. I don't have any margins. (laughs) (laughs) My finances suck. But, like, as far as I know, Dave Ramsey might be a good financial advisor or whatever. I mean, he's a dick. The guy is a motherfucking dick. We should say that. We can't, we can't say that. It makes me think that he's probably a pretty good financial advisor. (laughs) Those two things go hand in hand. Yeah. Okay. Dave Ramsey's a dick. That's the most important financial advisors listening to us right now. (laughs) You're not a dick. Others. But Dave Ramsey's profession. (laughs) But, yeah, you might you might be not a very good financial advisor. <laughs> We're sure. <laughs> um, anyway, the point is, like, it might be good advice. It might be really good financial advice that you're giving in this sermon about margins and so forth. Great, and maybe the church should be a place for that. Maybe the church should be a place where you can get, where you can go play basketball and get a really good cup of coffee and some sound financial advice. But. When it comes from the pulpit, when it comes from biblical wisdom, <laughs> yep. when it comes from the voice of God, then it's immediately a source of guilt and fear and like not measuring up Yeah. R- rather than like, oh, here's something that would be like a good thing for me to, to try out maybe when I'm able and whatever it's like i want not not i could i could be doing better with my money which we all probably could but i'm sinning because i'm not right well i i think this is one this is one place in um certainly within evangelical culture um where i don't know the the two words exegesis and eisegesis whatever like looking at the text and then trying to extrapolate from the text the actual heart of the text. Like what is the writer here actually trying to convey? This is one area where I would say decidedly, if you are using the Bible to talk to Americans about their finances, you're doing that (laughs) practice wrong. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Like there's just no, here's how Paul would have you balance your checkbook. 
Like that is a ridiculous notion. And I understand that like some evangelicals could even hear that and say like, well, obviously he didn't have a checkbook. You're just like not compared. And I'm saying, no, he's not talking to anybody like you. He has no conception of a world like ours. Yeah. He has no clue what it would be like to live in a free and democratic society where most people are fine, where nobody's really, I mean, like, sure, there are some, um, there, there's food insecurity in our cities and at, at, at some level, but even food insecurity is not like people aren't dying of starvation in the United States by and large. Yeah. Um, and more importantly to, to my point here, no one coming to my church is anywhere close to that. Right. Like no one in an evangelical church for the most part is anywhere close to this. So when we see the word finances appear in an evangelical sermon, we just need to know we're going to teach cultural money advice here. Yep. And it's not from the Bible. Right. At all. Yeah. There is no, there's no example in the Bible other than sell everything you have and give it to the poor. <laughs> well, and the Bible has That's a ton it. to say about debt, just like Dave Ramsey has a ton to say about debt. But the what the Bible has to say about debt is about holding debt, not about having debt. Yes. Right? The Bible yeah. has a lot to say to bankers, uh, yeah. very little to say to just people with student loans. Like, and... Again, I don't know that it's not a ba- that it's a bad idea. Like maybe that's a good thing for a church to be is a place where you can get cuz it's hard to get good financial advice and maybe a, you know, maybe the church could be a a place for that. Maybe the church could be a good place for health advice. Like Yeah. It's the same thing as all this bullshit about like the biblical diet or what like no, right, right. stop that. But, like, if you want to teach people how to use a food pyramid and how to, like, get enough vegetables on their plate or whatever, great. That's Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, and, and maybe the church, maybe that's a good thing for the church to do. But let's just stop it with this, like. What would Paul eat? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what would Jesus eat? Not a cheeseburger. Not a cheeseburger. But what kind of preacher were you then? Did you scream and shout and whisper and pout? Did you shame people for all their sin? Preacher, I bet you were corny with all of your poems and your jokes. But I bet you made them feel by keeping it real and winking at your smoking hot wife on the second row. Ah.